Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. The Grain Talk podcast is available on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. In this episode of Grain Talk, we will speak with Joanna Fallings, the cereal specialist with the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food, and Rural Affairs. She is going to give us some insight into the wheat crop this year and also explain why the Ontario Cereal Crop Committee has decided not to issue a performance trial report this year. Later on in the podcast, we will also get an update from Marcus Hurl, the chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario. First, a Grain Talk news update. The federal government is investing $4.8 million to help increase efficiency at the Port of Johnston in eastern Ontario. The investment is part of the government's plan to support infrastructure projects for economic growth and international trade. The port will replace aging grain loading spouts in order to load larger vessels more quickly and add a new grain bin to increase storage capacity. Grain Farmers of Ontario invites all farmer members to attend the 2019 Annual General Meeting being held in Woodstock on September 10th. The meeting will take place at the Quality Hotel and Suites. It's an opportunity to hear an update on the organization and bring forward any issues or concerns. Anyone who attends the AGM will be given a ticket for Canada's Outdoor Farm Show, which is taking place that same week. Grain Farmers of Ontario is seeking applicants for the 2020 American Soybean Association Kurtava Young Leader Program. The Young Leader Program provides training for couples or individuals who are passionate about the possibilities and future of agriculture. One actively farming couple from Ontario is selected to attend the program each year. Participants in the program engage in leadership training that helps them with their farm business and other organizations they serve. They gain tools to better enable them to tell their own farming story, and they're able to connect with soybean farmers from across the U.S. For more information and to apply, go to soygrowers.com. Applications are due by September 3rd. And now, here's my conversation with Joanna Fallings. Joining us on the podcast this week is Joanna Fallings, and she is the cereal specialist with Amafra. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. What does it mean for you to be the cereals specialist at Amafra? What's involved in your day-to-day? Sure. So in my role uh, with Amafra, part of my job is to provide uh, resources and, and support to farmers on anything cereal production related. Uh, so that includes wheat, barley, oats, rye. Um, and it can include, you know, things like day-to-day calls on some challenges or issues um, that growers may be facing or if they have interest in potential opportunities to um, being a participant on the Ontario Soil Crop Committee, doing on-farm research trials with producers, running extension events such as the Southwest Agricultural Conference or working with my colleagues to work on Southwest Crop Diagnostic Days and, and those sorts of things. So how did you end up in that position? What sort of led you there? Have you always had an interest in cereals or in agriculture in general? Uh, So I've definitely always had an interest and a passion for agriculture. So I grew up on a dairy and cash crop farm just south of Kitchener in a little village called Roseville. And uh, from there, I went to the University of Guelph. And, uh, you know, coming from a dairy farm, I initially had an interest in livestock, but quickly uh, changed my interests pretty much instantly after my first summer job as a crop scout. And, and went down the path of, of crops. And ever since then, I've had a, an interest and a passion for agronomy and, and crops in general. And uh, did my master's at the University of Guelph in weed science, actually, in glyphosate resistance. Um, 
and then from there I, I, I worked at OMAFRA in the research and innovation branch and and then this opportunity came up and and so I jumped on that. <laughs> and you've been in this position since 2015 now? Yes it'll be yeah this fall would be four years since I've been in this position. Has anything changed in the past four years? It seems like um, you know the wheat you know, I guess farmers sometimes grow wheat, sometimes they don't. But have you seen, I guess, any differences in the number of farmers or the the yields or, or any sort of differences in in just that short span of time? So I'd definitely say uh, in the last four years, there's it, there's been a consistency compared to you know when you when you look back twenty years ago. Um, some some years we'd have a, a significant amount of winter wheat acreage in the province. Um, but we've now, and then other years, we've you know seen a, a big decline depending on the conditions. But you know, I think growers really see the value and the opportunity that cereals provide to the rotation um, and to their bottom line. And so, you know, over the last number of years, we've really seen a consistency in terms of acreage going in, uh, in terms of winter wheat. But even in spring cereals, um, they see the value of having that crop in the rotation. And so I would say in terms of changes, it's really just that there's been a consistency in terms of the amount of acres grown rather than, you know, these extreme up and downs. Um, and we're also still continuing to see an increase in the average year yield potential of the crop in Ontario as well. And if we have a look at what has happened just in the past year when it comes to the wheat crop, and we talk about challenges, there have been quite a few. Can you give us a sense of what some of those struggles were for farmers over the winter and spring? Yeah, so the struggles really began last fall with winter wheat planting. So we had a pretty okay September, good temperatures, it was dry. Some growers were able to get their their winter wheat planted, particularly if they had edible beans or canola in the rotation. However, for those growers who were planting winter wheat after soybeans, soybean harvest was a struggle. It never stopped raining, and as a result, soybean harvest was delayed, and therefore winter wheat planting was delayed. So, you know, if we look at the overall acreage, probably 75-ish percent of the winter wheat crop was planted in that third to fourth week of October. And so that's pretty late when you look at the optimum timing for winter wheat planting in Ontario. Uh, And from there, you know, the weather continued to be cool and wet. Uh, So some growers didn't even get winter wheat planted. But at the end of the day, we we estimated that about 950,000 acres were planted. Um, And then from there, we we had a pretty challenging winter. It was really cool, cold, uh, snow cover, and we did have some freeze-thaw events. And in those freeze-thaw events, what happened was we saw a significant melt, and then it froze really quickly, you know, a day or two later. And so we had this consistent ice sheet over for the rest of winter. And so as a result, uh, we saw a lot of winter kill. Then coming out of winter, we had a pretty wet, cool spring, and so we did see uh, quite a few more fields, um, you know, not survive as a result of that, those cool wet conditions continuing and drowning out some of those fields. And so, you know, growers really started the struggle from, from last fall through to the spring. And some fields, because they couldn't get into them to do anything, they got left and surprisingly they worked out okay. Yeah, and, and so, you know, that was the other interesting thing was that we even had winter wheat fields emerging in the spring rather than last fall. Um, and so growers weren't even sure if they had a wheat crop and they were trying to decide whether they should keep it or, or, or leave it. And like you said, things remained wet pretty, pretty long. And so there was a number of wheat stands that ended up staying 
that growers, you know, weren't really excited in terms of, you know, the yield potential. But, you know, as we've gotten into harvest, things have actually turned out a little bit better than than some could have anticipated. Now, it's not just farmers that have had difficulties with growing winter wheat. The Ontario Cereal Crop Committee has recently announced that they're not going to be issuing their usual um, performance trial report. That's correct. So what happened there? Yeah, so again, as I mentioned, last fall was was pretty wet. So for some locations, unfortunately, due to how late it was uh, and how wet the conditions continue to be, they were unable to get some of those locations planted last fall. And then because of the challenging winter and because of the wet spring and cool spring in some of the locations, again, the wheat was not able to survive. Um, where we did have, you know, some locations we had part reps, uh, so we basically had some some data, but not all of the data, and, and we weren't confident in that. So um, this is unprecedented. This is, has never happened in Ontario before. Uh, so we, we only have a couple of sites. And so as a result, there is no 2019 report. We do have some locations that did survive in northern Ontario, and that data will become available and will be posted but unfortunately, because growers are already starting to make decisions now based on, on you know, for, for variety selection, uh, we are recommending to look at the 2018 report for, for now. And once that 2019 data from Area 5 or from Northern Ontario is available, that data will be posted. So why does it matter if you have incomplete data or just a couple of repetitions? Why can't you just tell people what you found based on what you did have? So there's a lot of variability in those. Um, so, you know, you want multiple reps um, to be confident in the data. There can be variability in the field, whether, you know, there could be a depression or a wet spot. So if you don't have complete repetitions, you are unable to get, you know, data that you're confident in. So that's why we're, we're unable to use all the, some of the locations. And when you recommend looking at last year's performance trial report, what should farmers be looking for? How do they interpret the data that's presented to them? So when we are looking at the Ontario Sale Crop Committee performance reports, we always recommend to look at the data on the most sites and the most number of years. So um, you want to be selecting for the area that you're in. So we have area one, which is deep in southwestern Ontario, area two, which is kind of south central Ontario, Area 3, which is Central and Eastern Ontario, and then Area 5, which is Northern Ontario. And so when we're looking at the data, you want to be looking for things, um, you know, challenges to address some of the challenges you may be facing on your farm. So whether you're looking for a variety that has moderately resistance to fusarium, whether you've dealt with stripe rust in the past, you might want to be selecting varieties that have resistance to stripe rust or, for example, if you are a livestock producer and you have lots of manure and lodging might be a concern, you might be selecting a variety that has some resistance, I guess, to, to lodging. So when you're looking at that, you want to be looking at the most number of sites uh, in the most number of years, if possible. And then from there, you can, you can dive in and pick out the specific characteristics that you're looking for, like some of the ones I previously mentioned on top of the performance report, there's also an opportunity on the GoCereals.ca website to check out head-to-head. And so what that feature allows you to do is select a couple of the varieties that you're interested in. And perhaps your specific characteristics are protein and fusarium. You can select those. And it'll tell you out of those varieties which ones are the best based on the characteristics that you've selected. 
Do you find that farmers are always looking for the same thing year after year, or do they like to try and get a variety of different uh, performance traits? Yeah, so of course there are certain varieties that certain growers have had really great experiences with in the past, and they feel they work well for their operations, so they like to stay with those. Um, But generally speaking, you know, I think growers do tend to look for the best variety based on their specific uh, needs and their specific circumstances. So what may have worked on one farm in particular um, may not necessarily work for another farm, or maybe they're trying to diversify and grow perhaps some hard red wheat as well as some soft red wheat. So I think it can be grower dependent, but I do think growers are, are looking or trying to look for the best genetics with the best characteristics based on their needs of their operation. And when we talk about um, different varieties and genetics, how often do the varieties that are included in the performance trials change? Every year, there's new varieties being registered, and so those are included in the performance trials and added into the performance trials. And every year, there are varieties that companies or, or, um, you know, registrants decide that are, are, they're no longer going to be offering or will no longer be commercially available. So there will be varieties that have been out for years that decide to come off and no longer available. And then there are varieties coming through the registration trials that once they are registered and available are then uh, you know, submitted into the performance trials. So um, it, it really varies depending on you know, the circumstances of certain varieties. But yeah, they're always changing. And if a variety you have traditionally relied on isn't commercially available anymore, then the trials are really a good resource for farmers to be able to find something new. When it comes to the performance trials and to the registration trials, every every new variety that's coming down the pipeline has to be equal to or better than the than the checks in in many of the cases. And so we're always trying to to raise the bar and and push push the the uh, varieties. So we're we're pushing yield, we're pushing resistance to fusarium, we're for striped rust. So um, for the most part, the goal is to to provide varieties that are better than what's commercially available. So um, while you might be scary to lose a variety, um, the goal is to have varieties that are, are even better available to producers. And when we talk about yield, that's one thing that farmers have been concerned about this year, as we discussed with all of the different weather conditions and, and the delays. Um, what have you been hearing about from farmers um, now that we're well into harvest? I think a lot of areas are actually wrapping up now. Um, what's the situation been like during harvest? Yeah, so harvest uh, this year was was quite a bit later than previous years. You know, there's always that uh, a few farmers in Essex County that on, you know, Canada Day, we tend to see a tweet here and there where harvest is starting, but really we were about two weeks behind, 10 days to two weeks behind in, in many areas this year. And and so, you know, a lot were pretty hesitant and a little bit nervous to see what we had. But uh, at the end of the day, I think the yields have been uh, quite a bit better than what many had expected. Um, there have been circumstances where, you know, yields weren't as, as high as what we'd hoped them to be. But for the most part, I would say yields are in the 80s. Uh, we are seeing, you know, so far those early planted fields, particularly in September, those some reports of, of yields are coming out at the 100 bushel mark. Um, as you get into early October, you know, you're seeing the 90 bushels and then as you get into later October, that's where we're starting to see the, the 70 bushel um, fields come off. And there are some regions that had even had a lot of challenges. It was continued to be wet. We were seeing low yields as low as 30 bushels uh, in, in some circumstances. 
And how was the weather during harvest? I know in a lot of areas it was sort of touch and go on, on some days. Yeah, on some days I think it was, you know, we weren't sure what the weather was going to bring, but uh, there was a big push for winter wheat harvest the Civic Long Weekend, so the first weekend in uh, August there. And it was it was pretty warm and dry, uh, which is ideal. You don't want a lot of rain happening during harvest. The second that we get rain as the crop matures is we, we tend to see a decrease in quality. So we get more sprouting. Uh, we tend to see a decrease in falling number and a decrease in test weight. Um, whereas this year, we actually had okay weather. Now, there are some instances where fields weren't able to be harvested before some rains, but for the most part, those have now been harvested, and quality thus far has been been excellent. Uh, you know, during that critical pollination period this spring, the dawn cast models that tell us, you know, our risk for, for fusarium was high. We had lots of moisture. There was lots of rainfall. So a number of, I'd say, you know, most growers went out and applied a, a T3 fungicide application at that time for protection. And as a result, um, you know, in, in addition to the fact that the weather turned hot and dry, uh, we, we didn't see too much fusarium, which is what we were maybe anticipating. And so the quality has been excellent with most of the crop grading at a grade two or better. Can we um, take a look or discuss for a bit uh, the Doncast? What is that for growers that might not be familiar with it? So the Doncast model, uh, it's a model that essentially tells you the risk for fusarium infection at that pollination timing. So during the pollination, uh, that's when the most number of florets are open on the winter wheat head and there there is risk for infection. And so what Doncast does is it takes the current weather conditions the timing of when you pl- based on when you planted the crop and the heading date, and it and it tells you what your risk is for for potential fusarium infection. And so it's not a guarantee. It's it's a it's a it is a model and it's a guideline. It's a tool that can be used to help you make that decision as to whether or not you would apply T3 fungicides. So for example, say the model is showing moderate risk and you have a highly susceptible or susceptible variety, you might be more inclined to apply a fungicide versus, say, if the model was a low risk and you have a moderately resistant variety, you might not apply T3 fungicide. So it's just a tool to help you make that decision as to whether or not you should be applying a fungicide based on risk. And how can you access it? You can access Doncast through the weathercentral.ca website. So if you create a login page, um, you can enter your fields in. It's a free free of charge uh, tool, and you can go in there, plot your fields based on your planting date, previous crop, uh, and your heading date, and then it'll it'll tell you what your risk is for that field. So let's talk a bit about uh, this coming fall. And if farmers are looking to include wheat in their rotation this year, um, they're probably going to be a bit delayed. But some other farmers might be in the opposite situation. If they didn't get a field planted at all, they might be looking to plant winter wheat early. And that could be a problem. Yeah, exactly. So um, just this past year, we put out the most uh, recently updated optimum planting date maps. They are available in the PDF version of the agronomy guide on the OMAFRA website, but they are also available in both the black and white and colored versions on the goserials.ca website. And so if you look at that map, for most of Ontario, the optimum planting date ranges 
from from mid to late September. And as I mentioned earlier, most of the crop last fall was planted the third to fourth week of October, so it was quite a bit later. And so really the only regions that should be planting, you know, or the optimum date that is well into October is in Essex County. And so for growers, uh, you know, this fall, I think it's really important to think about where are you going to plant your winter wheat? Um, are there soybean fields that, you know, you planted first that you'll be able to harvest first and get the wheat planted maybe before you finish doing the rest of the harvesting? Um, if there's edible beans or canola in the rotation, there's an opportunity to plant your wheat earlier. But uh, I think it's important to remember that the reason that these dates are, are so important is because it takes 80 growing degree days for winter wheat seed to germinate. And then it takes another 50 growing degree days for winter wheat to emerge for every inch of seeding depth. So in total, it takes 130 growing degree days for wheat to germinate and emerge. And so if we're planting on October 25th and the weather turns cold, uh, we're, we're getting a reduction in our growing degree days and we're not getting that crop growing and developing and tillering before winter where we can actually increase our winter survival. Um, so it's really important to keep that in mind that we do need that heat and those warm temperatures to get that wheat out of the ground and getting it growing and established before winter. On the flip side, if you are looking at, you know, you have some unseeded acres and you're hoping to plant your winter wheat early, there is a risk of actually planting too early. Um, and with that, you know, comes things like lodging, snow mold, barley yellow dwarf virus can be a concern. And so, as well as take all virus. And so, it's really important to not plant your winter wheat more than 10, wait, 10 days prior to your optimum seeding date. If you're going to plant more than 10 days prior to your optimum seeding date, it's important to drop your seeding rate um, by at least 25%. And so, that'll help you reduce your risk of lodging and, and your risk of snow mold. Um, and so, that's a couple things to keep in mind. When you say that to farmers, don't plant too early, and and they just want to get it done because they want to make sure they have time to harvest soybeans or corn or whatever else they have to harvest, is it a difficult conversation? Yeah, of course. I mean, there are a lot of growers that, you know, ran into some pretty big challenges last year with winter survival, and it's frustrating. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the growers are, are, are can tell you exactly what they think they did or didn't do that may, you know, have contributed Ice cover, in many instances, nobody has control over that, but we do have control over establishment. And so the thinking is, okay, I, I may have planted my wheat quite a bit later than I was hoping, so this year I want to make sure I plant it early. And that's great. I'm happy to hear that growers, you know, are on top of planting date and, and their establishment. But it's also important to keep in mind that we also need to be patient and, and we don't want to set up ourselves uh, or put ourselves in a situation where we, we do more harm than good. And so uh, it's important to keep some of those risks in mind. Uh, and while we can plant too early, if we it's, it's, it's difficult for most cases because we're planting after a crop such as soybeans. So if we're talking about, um, I guess planting and, and adding wheat into your rotation. Why should farmers be doing that? I'm not everybody is on board with adding it into their rotation after soybeans. So, you know, what what is I guess your number one thing that you like to tell farmers when they're on the fence about whether or not they should be planting? So winter wheat provides so much value to a crop rotation. 
Uh, it provides benefits in terms of adding yields uh, to your corn and soybeans. Um, you know, that research has been done in the long-term trials, both at Ridgetown and Alora. Those are 25-plus-year-old rotations. That data is solid, so, so we are pretty confident in that. Um, but it also is really important from a soil health perspective. Uh, so, of course, we get our yield benefits in corn and soybeans, but we're also keeping a cover over winter, um, and we're also improving our soil health. Winter wheat also provides a great opportunity to incorporate a cover crop into the rotation, whether that's red clover or a cover crop after wheat harvest. Um, and again, this research has been has been shown to show that having winter wheat and incorporating a cover crop has huge benefits in terms of soil health. So I'd say the number one takeaway is is not necessarily just the yield benefit it provides, but the, the benefits it pri- provides in terms of improving soil health um, in Ontario in our current production systems. And if um, farmers have questions for you or they just want to know a bit more about winter wheat and, and what they should be doing, what are some of the different venues that they have available to them in order to uh, reach out to yourself? Yeah, so growers can always reach out to me. I, I try to be available as much as I possibly can. So they can reach me on Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is at Joe Fallings. They can reach me by email. They can reach me by phone. I also try to attend um, as many of the soil and crop events throughout the winter months as possible, as much as I possibly can. We also uh, put on things like the Southwest Agricultural Conference, Farm Smart. Um, so feel free to, to reach out to me at any of those events. Um, but please also reach out to me via email, text, phone, or on Twitter. Um, I'll, I'll try to respond as quickly as I can. Have you had anything, I guess, lately that has come as a surprise to you that when farmers have, say, sent you a tweet or, or sent you an email that you're kind of like, huh, that's that's a new one or anything that I guess has is, is been quite common this year that you've been talking about? I'd say the the thing that's popped out to me the most is, you know, how, how surprised growers have been this year with how their wheat did. You know, uh, we all were really thinking we should we should take out a lot of these stands um, they're not really going to perform well, but growers stuck to it and, and they really, you know, put the management into the crop. Um, you know, there's an agronomist uh, in Elgin County that always says, if you, if you manage a poor wheat crop like a poor wheat crop, it's going to be a poor wheat crop. Um, and so growers, uh, you know, really did manage the crop like it was a good wheat crop and they got pretty good yields out of that. And so uh, I think that's been the, the most, you know, I guess... Uh, positive side of the of the season this year is that you know we we felt like we threw every challenge but the kitchen sink at the wheat crop this year and growers still persevered and and we came out uh with okay yields we were able to maintain our rotations um and and so i think that's uh you know a really positive from from this year so far well thanks for taking the time to join us on the podcast today and thanks for having me Joining us now on the podcast is Chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario, Marcus Hurl. Thanks for joining us today, Marcus. Good afternoon, Rachel. It's great to have you actually in studio this week. Normally, we have to talk over the phone. Of course. Well, I came to Guelph for our uh, monthly board meeting, so I take advantage of joining you here. So the first thing we want to talk about today is the wheat harvest. Um, a lot of people are finished. Some people still have a little bit left to go. What has been your sense of how that has gone this year? So with 
some of the wheat acres that actually survived this harsh winter that we had. Um, so what I hear is quality seems to be fairly reasonably good. Um, so uh, like you said, the harvest is actually wrapping up uh, in most part of the province around the uh, winter wheat. Now spring wheat harvest is just starting out, I would say probably this week and next week. So it's going to be interesting of what kind of a crop is going to come off that. Now, you were recently at an announcement at the Port of Johnston, which we mentioned earlier in the podcast. They received some significant uh, dollars from the federal government. From your perspective as a farmer in eastern Ontario, why is government support important for uh, a place like the Port of Johnston? Yeah, so what's happening in Johnstown is that the uh, infrastructure that's at that port is really aging. Uh, some of the uh, the ships that come in to uh, load up our commodities that uh, are going around the world, we can say, uh, need to be adopted to the needs of today. And uh, the loading capacity is going to be increased by, or so first of all, it's going to be reduced by half the, the amount of time that they're going to need to load a ship. Second of all, um, I think it's a good step forward for the Canadian government also to step up, up to help the uh, Canadian uh, ag industry to bring commodities to market because we're in a situation at the moment where we're bombarded by different aspects of trade uh, tariffs so we need to be sure that uh, we have the infrastructure to handle quickly our commodities and take them from the field to port to our home destination of where they go. Now um, along those lines of trade issues that we're facing right now um, Minister Hardiman recently wrote a letter to the Federal Minister of Ag, Minister Babo, about the fact that canola and pork and beef need support due to the, the trade war issues, but left out our green sector. And we've been asking Minister Hardiman to uh, support us on that front. So I understand that you wrote a letter to Minister Hardiman. Can you share with us uh, what your concern was? I certainly can. Uh, it's quite frustrating as a farmer and as the chair of Grain Farms Ontario to here when uh, our minister that's just supposed to support our our industry not mentioning the uh, the impact that we're having from all this straight distortion between us and china and around the world around soybeans because soybeans were hit on that whole trade front right off the bat when uh, china and the us got into their disagreements we had asked already back then, a year and a half ago, that something is being done on that front, especially from the federal side, to put like a, put a, maybe a contingency plan in place or have some kind of a trade fund. And first, we have not seen any action around that. So we expected that our uh, provincial ag minister would step up and actually support our industry but there has been some shortfall. I don't know if it's maybe a misunderstanding or that uh, he certainly needs to address this because we are the largest industry of Ontario on the grain and oilseed part that supports the uh, economic spin-offs, the, uh, the rural communities. So there is something that he has to take away and step up and support us through this hard time because it's certainly the new way of the marketplace, how they're going to be structured from here on in. 
So what um, are some of the specifics that you're hoping to see? Well, I'm hoping that, uh, first of all, that we can have more market access, that we get maybe even uh, the federal government acknowledging that there is a shortfall in the uh, business risk management tools that address marketplace distortions, and uh, that we have support from our uh, elected officials that uh, help us out in the time of need. Now, on another government front, we're also still trying to get the provincial government to rescind the neonicotinoid regulations that have been in place for a couple of years now. And you had a chance to meet up with uh, Premier Doug Ford at a recent event. Can you tell us how that conversation went? Yeah, so the the conversation was, uh, I hoped to get a little bit more out of it, uh, because uh, Premier Ford is always advocating reduction of red tape. Uh, us at Grain Forest Ontario, we gave them the perfect example of what they should address right off the bat when the, uh, the government was elected. They said they, they will address this issue. We are seeing very little action happening behind it. Uh, so we are still pushing and trying to get a bit more information of why the delays happen around all this. Um, we certainly hope that we're going to see something prosperative uh, out of the uh, the government in the next little while. And uh, so we're keeping pushing on that front. That's as simple as that. We are, we're not going to sit back and just wait that it's going to happen. Uh, we have to have the dialogues with, uh, with the ministers. And uh, I think Premier Ford is a person that's out there that uh, wants to help. But he also has to acknowledge that uh, he has to step up to the plate. Because the neonic regulations are also an example of something that they weren't even willing to temporarily help us out as farmers in the spring when a lot of farmers were facing having to switch out their seed varieties and they didn't have a lot to choose from because they weren't able to use the neonics. That's right. And uh, I gave that example to, uh, to the premier that uh, it, it, it was a very challenging spring for the farmers and we cannot have a regulation in place that's actually going to give the farmers more hardship in the time when it's already tough going just because there is no need for this regulation, first of all, within the uh, province of Ontario. There is an overarching um, uh, regulatory system in place on the federal uh, level. So why do we need duplication? It's not really needed. Well, thanks for taking the time to explain some of the events and conversations that you've had in the last couple of weeks. You're more than welcome. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to our guests this week, Joanna Fallings and Marcus Hurl. If you like what you've heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And remember, five-star reviews help us grow our audience.